And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic This is Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic and once again, after all that excitement at the weekend another massive midweek come down on a school night They've made, as Rob says, a bright start here no sign of uh, that easing off and it's put away. It fell nicely for Lanzini and they deserve that. Fast off the blocks, West Ham United trying to put Sunday behind them. And they've certainly merited taking the lead. Yep, not good was it. Manchester United out of the League Cup, falling at the first hurdle beaten by West Ham at Old Trafford. We'll have all the reaction to that result and also speak about something that I think is good news for Manchester United and Manchester United fans as well with the announcement that selected Premier League and Championship stadiums will be allowed to have safe standing this season for the first time in more than 25 years, including, we hope, of course, Old Trafford. Let's introduce who's with us today then. The Athletics' Laurie Whitwell is back from holiday and fans are rejoicing around the country. Welcome back, Laurie. How you doing, Ian? You okay? Nice to be back. I'm very good, thank you. And of course, he's never been away, even when he was on his bike. Andy Mitten is also with us, the editor of United We Stand and writer for The Athletic too. Hello, Andy. Hello, Ian. Hi, Laurie. Let's get stuck into this. Let's get stuck in indeed, because that's exactly how it feels, doesn't it, really? Right, let's start with the starting lineup, Andy, if that's all right, last night. I don't think there could be... Too many complaints with the side that Ollie picked. It was more than good enough to win that game, wasn't it? I think every selection, every single position made sense to me. Even starting Jaden Sancho because he's not really done much yet. And at some point he's going to spark into life. So I could see why that happened. Every single player, I thought that stands to, to reason, including Jesse, because he's not been starting matches and then the game started and once again, Manchester United go behind and we're speaking today, a day after it. I, I feel really disappointed. I know it's only the League Cup. I know people might have a completely different opinion and say we're better off out of it, but I disagree. I think United should go for every trophy that the team enter. And I've always thought that. It's not the be-all and end-all, that the, the League Cup, but it could have been a trophy. And all he needs a trophy. I'm not saying he's not going to be sacked if he doesn't get a trophy. But I am saying if he got a trophy, it would lift the mood by, by 20-30%. We could all go to Wembley. Um, maybe the inevitable was being um, put off because we would have drawn City in the next round and they keep knocking us out of this competition. <laughs> but if we would have been looking forward today to play Manchester City, um, that would have been better than losing against, uh, against West Ham. And for a lot of those players who had a chance, who deserved a chance, were pretty underwhelming. Oli set the point in front of goal. We just weren't sharp. We keep going behind, and that's a problem. And I think it was a bit a bit of a letdown for a huge crowd, 72,000. That's an incredible number of people. And a lot of those people 
don't go all the time. And I think they would have walked away going, meh. Yeah, and I think we'll get into sort of culprits, like you were saying, uh, certainly, uh, in a minute. But, but Laurie, just to underline what Andy was saying there, we've spent a lot of time, the three of us and Carl, speaking about how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs a trophy to sort of underline the sense of progress that there is around the place. Uh, and this is obviously an opportunity completely gone, isn't it? I just kind of feel like, yeah, it is obviously a trophy and it would have been great if they could have got further and, and, and done it. But it's the first stage of, of this competition. So it's not the biggest disappointment. I don't think that it would have been heralded as an incredible achievement if United go on and win it. And, and as you say, you know, Solskjaer's almost got more criticism for getting to the semi-final and getting knocked out of it in previous years than he has done, you know, uh, by perhaps going out early at this stage. I guess my one concern would be, you now it probably sounds counterintuitive when we've talked previously about having too many games in a season, but it's perhaps not having enough games to let you know the likes of those fringe players get a run out. You know, Donovan the Bait, when is he going to start another game? You know, Diogo Dallo, when is he going to start another game? That being said, did they do enough last night to warrant a start? You know, and I accept the the alternative view that it's difficult to come into a team that's sort of new, thrown together, having not played for a bit to really hit the ground running. Didn't the West Ham players be, yeah. weren't they in the same situation yeah, though? Totally, yeah, totally. So, and, and yeah, how much of that do you put on then the manager in terms of having a kind of coherent general plan for all your players and, and all your squad uh, and how much you put it on the individual players, you know, for not turning up? You know, I think Anthony Marshall, again, disappointed, you know, but I, it's sort of not really surprised, are we, at this stage about his sort of movement running in behind. Some moments, were, you know, looked kind of sharp. He's obviously got great technique, but you just look at him and it doesn't feel like he's giving his absolute everything to kind of really make his mark. And I wonder if his confidence is not, you know, he's a bit confused about what position he's going to play. It needed Mason Greenwood to come on and inject some energy into it, didn't it? He, he, you know, he was, you know, he's electric. But Dean Henderson, first game since he um, has come back from suffering COVID. Listen, he, could he have saved the shot? I don't know, but I think he's made a couple of decent saves second half and he, he seems to equip himself quite well. So I think he's probably one of the, the brightest spots. Just to get into some of the questions, Jay and, and said Donny and Jesse were okay, so so could make it a squad players at, at United, but I guess it looks like a, a dead end for Martial. Is it as strong as that, Andy? Will Martial play again for Manchester United? Yes, I think he will. Where will the opportunities come? Well, it won't be in the League Cup. When will Juan Mata play again for Manchester United? And Laurie might end up being right here. If we're talking, doing a podcast from St. Petersburg, having won the Champions League in May, we might be saying that going out of the League Cup early was a good thing with the benefit of hindsight, but we don't have that at the moment. Martial was poor. He's playing poorly. He's in a rut. Does that finish him off as a player? No, it doesn't. But it's pretty sad to watch because he's getting plenty of opportunities now. He was out for a, a long time. I, I tend to be optimistic about players because history's taught me that. The, a, a good player doesn't just become a bad one overnight. There's so many factors, including things like confidence and having the belief of your manager. But And, and it wasn't that long ago that he was man of the match in the Manchester derby away. He had a great game earlier on this year at City. But it's pretty depressing to watch. And United were pretty blunt in front of goal. They created all the chances. But the, the goals the, the goals are certainly not coming. And with Martial, he was probably the worst player. Let's not beat about the bush. He, he didn't have a, a good game and we praise him when he plays well. I know that Mata was the man of the match in the recent friendly behind closed doors against Stoke, for example. But 
I can't see him starting another game for a while. No, there's a few like that. There are a few like that. That was that was the lot's first game at Old Trafford, if I'm not mistaken, for for two years. We know that United wanted Kieran Trippier in the summer. Uh, that didn't happen. So the situation's always fluid. I suppose David Moyes, for one, would be happy with the result, considering how the weekend went for him as well. And his first win against Manchester United since leaving Old Trafford. He'll be buzzing, Andy, won't he? David didn't speak to the media, I'm told, last night, but uh, he feels that his team were very unlucky not to get a draw on Sunday against Manchester United. I've uh, not broached the subject of penalties with Mr Moyes, but when I'm face-to-face in a relaxed environment with him, I think I will will do that. (laughs) I think what we can say about him is, is he's doing a very good job at West Ham. And I'm not going to defend his time at Old Trafford at all. But he's put a good team together there. Let's get back to the assessment of the United players then, Laurie. I mean, United went out at a very similar stage in 2014. Uh, they were beaten 4-0 at MK Dons, which is a far worse result than this. We're not really comparing the result or the performance or anything like that. That was a, a very, very embarrassing night for a, a lot of Manchester United players and indeed the entire club. But... That obviously brought about the end of quite a few United careers. I mean, in, in the team that night, there was lots of young players, certainly, who who actually ended up leaving as well. But in terms of senior names, Javier Hernandez, Danny Welbeck, Johnny Evans, Anderson, Shinji Kagawa, not many of them lasted much longer at the club, if that long at all. Um, can you see a sort of similar situation perhaps with some of the lads who started last night. Andy there mentioned about Diego Delo or Juan Mata. I mean, in a year's time, are these uh, how many of that 11 is going to still be at United? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, Diogo Dallo was available for you know transfer this summer. It's just that United asked for a pretty big loan fee, something like €5 million. Euro, uh, and you know, there weren't really clubs that wanted to take him permanently. Um, so, yeah, he had a good loan spell, I think, over at AC Milan. They were interested again. Borussia Dortmund came quite late, uh, but nothing really you know properly materialised. And that then obviously had a, a knock-on effect for the pursuit of Kieran Trippier, which, to be fair, you know, Atletico Madrid always had. Um, a higher valuation than Manchester United were willing to go to. So, um, but I think that they're the kind of you know moves next summer that you might be looking at. Lingard's out of contract. Nemanja Matic, um, Eric Bailly, Dean Henderson, even if he doesn't win the number one race with David de Gea. Yeah, Henderson's an interesting one in the you know obviously he's just come back. Um, we're we're going to be doing a piece on the Athletic for the weekend on David de Gea's resurgence and sort of within that I think we're talking about Dean Henderson as well, who was pretty unlucky really to get COVID in the preseason because I, I feel like he would have started the season just after David de Gea's Europa League uh, performance and you know whether that would have been right or wrong. I think certainly it was a bit of a sliding doors moment and and clearly now David de Gea sees the opportunity with with both hands and he looks you know uh, refreshed and confident you know speaking to the media more and you know he, he looks more of a presence so um, but clearly Dean Henderson will want to stay at United and push De Gea continuously if he still doesn't get the games that he feels you know he, he needs and wants clearly he's going to be looking at his options next summer um, but I don't think he's it's a January option for him you know in terms of leaving the club at all Eric Bailly you know signed a new contract not long ago but he now is you know fourth choice centre-back, you know, with, with Phil Jones, I suppose, still there and Ted and Mengi is a young centre-back, props coming through. So will he be satisfied at the kind of bit part role that he's got? Yeah, one matters contracts up in the summer, isn't it? I think Nemanja Matic has got another year on top, if I'm not mistaken, but and I actually think he probably could still, you know, he's still performing, isn't he, in a way, in certain 
aspects that I think is is kind of what United need. Whereas one matter now feels like an extra body when you look at Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford still to come back. Obviously, Edinson Cavani and Ronaldo are kind of different positions, but again, forward players. Um, I'm probably going to forget someone here. Jesse Lingard, Ahmad, who obviously has been injured, uh, that you know, put Kai Bosch his move to Feyenoord. Um, when he comes back, you know, you'd think that United should really be giving him the opportunities over Juan Mata, um, who's you know in the twilight of his career. So, um, yeah, I think you could well be looking at it like that MK Don's um, team, and, and and you know, in a year's time, thinking, oh yeah, that was a an interesting lineup, you know, and how different the squad is now. Um, just reflecting back on that MK Don's lineup, I remember uh, Danny Welbeck left that transfer deadline, and, and so did um, Michael Keane, and I think both had been told that summer you know, maybe like a week or two before that they were staying by Louis van Gaal. And it just, so whether or not he changed his mind or whether or not that was not quite the, the full truth at that moment, um, it's only, you know, he, only he knows, I guess. But a funny story actually with Michael Keane, he played against Sunderland before the MK Dons game. And after the game, Louis van Gaal stood up in front of everybody, including, you know, the likes of Phil Jones and Chris Smalling and said, Michael Keane is the best centre-back at this club. And then he goes and plays against MK Dons and then he shifts him on at the transfer deadline. So, you know, go figure. Something's not quite right there, is it? Certainly. Uh, one name that was missing last night that I think a lot of United fans would have liked to have seen, Andy, was Edison Cavani. Is there any sort of word on what his situation is? It There's an unspecified knock going around. I think there's some pictures on uh, social media of him having a, a new baby as well. Yeah, I'm unable to specify why he didn't play against West Ham. I just don't want to get in a repeat of last year's stop, start, stop, start, because it would have been perfect for him last night. He finished the season so strongly uh, last year. Um, I spoke to one of his former international teammates this week who was raving about his um, his physical fitness and, and Cristiano Ronaldo's as well. At this point was that the oldest, the older players at, at United, the older strikers, are fitter than the younger ones because they're in such such good physical shape and uh, you know they, they should be followed as an example. So I don't know. Um, it's all a bit sketchy at the moment with Cavani. I just want to see him back playing for Manchester United as soon as possible. Um, you mentioned Matic. I agree with Laurie. He sort of came on at West Ham, put that that ball in to set up the, the winner for Jesse. Last night, I don't know what you, your view is because he left a few in. Mr. Matic, and I thought he was very lucky not to attract the referee's uh, attention, but that was just um, my view of it and a little bit out of character for him as well. Do you think he sort of thought, you know, West Ham have basically been conceding penalties left, right and centre and not getting punished. I might as well just have a kick because he's, he's, there's that clip of him basically kneeing Kufal in, in the nuts, basically. And you're thinking, ouch, that, I would not like to be on the receiving end of that from a, a Serbian sort of shin. He's got quite pointed knees, Matic, I imagine, as well. And elbows. He's, yeah. He uses elbows, doesn't he, quite a lot, you know, sort of pushing people out of the way when he's going on his little dribbles. Um, but no, the FA say that John Moss, the officials, saw it at the time, dealt with it, so no further action. Fair enough. Do it again, then. <laughs> Do it in the derby. Do it against Liverpool. Get away with it. Fantastic. And the scrutiny is on, Ollie, a little bit more after the result. I know, Laurie, you said it's not a disaster, it being the League Cup, but interested, actually, in the questions that we got. Uh, Phil was sort of saying about comparing Solskjaer to Moyes in terms of the tune that he got out of his, of their B teams last night. But this is another one that keeps getting mentioned. Daniel's brought it up. Does Tuchel's turnaround at Chelsea put Oli under more pressure? When the subs didn't work, when United were down to 10 men and young boys, everyone talked about the job that Tuchel did at Anfield. And then 
obviously last night Chelsea managed to turn things around and win on penalties against the Premier League side in the League Cup. So yeah, another sort of uncomfortable comparison for Ollie Laurie. Do you even pay any attention to what Tuchel's doing there in, in relation to United? Yeah, I think so, because he's, he's obviously doing a good job, isn't he? Um, I mean, he's come in and won the Champions League. You can't really ask for much. He could call it a good job, yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, he would always have been the one over Poch that I would have had at Manchester United, you know, out of the two of them. You know, I think that he's a really intelligent guy. He's got personality. He, he's done things at PSG that other managers haven't managed to do. I know he didn't get over the line with PSG, but get, to get to a Champions League final is, is as close as anyone has to fulfilling, you know, their ambitions as, as a club. How would the style have gone down of Tuchel? Well, well that's, that's what I think people overlook. And that's why I always have a slight caution over whenever people say, look at the job this guy's doing or look at this player in this other league. And I think, have you seen every single minute of every single game? Yeah, he plays a back three. Well, basically, you know, it's a, it's a back five really, isn't it? It's five defenders. Obviously, you've got the wing backs, um, but it's a, it's a pretty pragmatic style, but it's a winning style. And, and clearly it, it does explode into life at times. You know, that second half away to Spurs, he, he tweaked it, didn't he? Um, at the weekend and they won comfortably, really impressive win and, and they created a lot of chances. So he obviously knows what he's doing with his team and, and, and with, his, with, with his way to win. But I don't know if people sort of say, oh, you know, look, you can see Chelsea's style of play straight away that Tuchel's gone in. And I'm thinking, I think he, I think he moulds it to whichever plays he's got. I don't think it's necessarily Tuchel's style. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's his winning style is what he's after. But I do think he's done a good job. But I think the difference with Solskjaer would be that when Solskjaer took over, the mood around Carrington was in a desperate place and you had a lot of players that didn't really want to be there, that hadn't won anything. Tuchel's taken over a team that has got a lot of players that have won, you know, things before that they know how to to do it. Um, and he's added to that, you know, he's got a Marina Granovskaya there as the sporting director, or the director, sorry, who basically has Mona Varamich's absolute trust and she can execute deals very quickly. And he, he's wanted Lukaku. They've got Lukaku. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone, for getting involved with those questions on the real-time section of the Athletic app. Of course, you can always join in on the chat and respond to Laurie and Carl's messages on there you need to be a subscriber though but there is still a 33% discount on subscriptions to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod also you'll get of course all access to the best Manchester United coverage and to all our podcasts ad free including this one but we need to talk about some good news this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, after a long campaign from various fan groups right across the country, including at United, safe standing has been approved for use at Premier League and Championship grounds for this season on a trial basis. How good news is this, Andy, for United and United fans then? I think it's very good news. I speak personally and among the Manchester United fans I know. I put it onto Twitter and it's like people didn't care. Just like not a big issue. Maybe that's because most of the people who are on there don't go to games. So it doesn't resonate with them particularly strongly. But I felt passionately about this for a long time. I can remember writing enviously of Bradford City having a standing cot in 1994 and bemoaning Old Trafford going all-seater in 94. The atmosphere suffered terribly for it. The club were cloth here, didn't listen to fans at all for years and years and years. And got to be fair to Ed Woodward, he was one of the first people going back seven or eight years who was really predisposed to push for this. And he would always say, though, we can only do what the government allows to. You had people in the background pushing. Uh, there was a Manchester City fan called Phil Gattenby. He lives in Florida now. He, he made it an obsession in his life. I'm going back 20 years now. John Darch, who's a, a Bristol City fan, Union Berlin fan. And what John did was really show that how the German model works. And I ended up going to Germany a lot to see how this safe standing worked. I went to Leverkusen, I went to Dortmund, I went to Hamburg, and I'd come back and write about this. And our sort of core audience were like, brilliant, we need this. More so when we saw standing areas uh, brought in, into places like Celtic Park, but there were also a lot of people that just didn't care. I remember going to Leverkusen in 13, probably the highlight of David Moyes' time, because United beat Leverkusen 5-0 or 5-1 away. And, and doing a piece and saying, this, this should happen in the UK. It's safe. It adds to the atmosphere. People should have a choice whether they stand up or not. Mates can stand together. It's all good. And... Basically, people sneering and going, why are you even bothered about something like that? So I won't name them, but I'd never forgot them. And there were politicians with that attitude as well. So I'm really, really pleased. I think it's good for football. I think safe standing works. I'm not talking about the, the swaying terraces of old, which could be very dangerous. I think it's good. I think United have been good. I think you've got people like Ian Sterling, at Manchester United, like most who put hours into this, into helping. And it's another positive ingredient for fan culture. So now you've got the Red Army at one end of the ground. You've got an improving atmosphere. You've got ticket prices, which have not gone up for over a decade. I welcome all of those things because trust me, in the 90s and noughties, you could not make any progress on issues like this. And fair play to the government of the day. I'm not necessarily aligned with their politics by any stretch, but there's been so many false promises and we're going to bring in a task force. It's going to have power. And I had 10 meetings in Manchester 
and listen to past ministers from either party saying we're going to do this and nothing ever happened. So fair play to the people on this watch for pushing it through and for making it happen. Old Trafford will be better for it. And what Old Trafford should do now, because I'm not happy with that, make it bigger. We've seen the demand for tickets. Make it bigger. Everyone else is improving the size, increasing the size of the ground. Old Trafford should be holding 90,000. Not easy to easy for me to say that in these post-COVID strained economic times, look in the medium term. And the Glazers know that as well. Make it the best as it once was. I've been to Manchester United matches all over the place. I've stood up, I've sat down, somewhere in between, I've perched. But I've never actually been in a standing section at a United game, a true standing section, on a terrace at the Stretford end or... Uh, the scoreboard end or anything like that. I mean, I was three years old when the Hillsborough disaster happened and obviously that initiated the change. Um, so I'd really like to experience it. Are, are you the same, Laurie? Are you just sort of like wondering what it'd be like? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've obviously been stood up at grounds supporting United, you know, when I technically shouldn't have been. Um, and I've always enjoyed those experiences, just that little bit more. There probably is a little element of, of, of danger. I mean, I, I sort of think of... In 99, two examples that spring to mind, the one where United are playing Liverpool in the FA Cup and we were in the Stretford end behind and it's quite a steep sort of view and the way that the goals went in, you're kind of shifting from left to right, the way that the ball travelled, and but it felt good. It was obviously in the final minute, so you kind of stood up anticipating something. Um, but that felt great then to be able to just celebrate in a totally organic way, you know, without having to sort of stand up and all kind of sit down and hope for, for the best. And, and then in the new Camp as well, I mean, obviously... You know, I think I've said this story before on the podcast, but we had our tickets robbed. So we we, had, we ended up getting in, but it was very late. And we, we had to like sort of clamber over sort of different stairs and we walked out and it was all, everyone was stood up anyway. And there was like a sort of Spanish um, steward, bless him, uh, in his high-vis jacket who was saying, can everyone sit down, please? And you've got like 40, 45,000 reds going, are you having a laugh? No. No. <laughs> we were in the gangway, so we sort of shuffled out of the gangway. But again, we just watched the whole game stood up and that felt nice. You know, it felt vibrant, felt like you were alive. And obviously you've got to be careful about these things. It has to be safe. But, I, you know, I, I applauded the... Uh, the rail seating going in in the J stand at Old Trafford this uh, this season. And when Andy mentioned Ian Sterling before, it just made me think of the article that we've got on the, uh, at the Athletic by Phil Buckingham. Because obviously at the moment, you know, you're not, you're still not supposed to stand, are you? It's, it's technically, you know, you're sat, sitting there and it's, it's the rail is kind of like just to increase safety. So, but I quite enjoyed Ian's uh, view of that, where he said, it's, it's like giving someone a lollipop and telling them not to lick it, which I thought was a very nice analogy for how the kind of dance is right now at the moment. But listen, if they're now thinking of actually introducing safe standing, then fantastic. Yeah. I've got a very similar story from the new camp as well. We, we had uh, tickets that were right at the back of the second tier, I think it would have been. And you literally couldn't really even see the goal at the other end because of the the way that the, the stand came down. So my dad just said, sat this, and we went and walked to the bottom of the stand and just stood in the gangway at the bottom and watched <laughs> the game from there. Um, Brilliant. But yeah, I, yeah I, I, think, I think it will add to the atmosphere. I'm just intrigued to see what it's like. I've, I've experienced so many things down the years, and that's just one thing that I've never done. So... If nothing else, I'd just be intrigued to see how it went. And obviously, if it, if it can be done safely, that's been demonstrated. I think it's a really interesting point as well that you could potentially cater for such a broad range of supporters inside Old Trafford. The German model seems to have worked really well because you've still got tickets that are 
hundreds of pounds or obviously hundreds of euros over there that, that can suit that particular type of fan but you can make the, the seats really affordable behind the goals stood up or wherever the standing section may may be that, that can allow everyone to go. I think that's a really important thing for younger fans as well so the next generation of fan is allowed inside Old Trafford as an opportunity to experience that and it keeps the whole thing moving because there has been issues in the past with the the fans getting older and older and this sense of going to be entertained Andy as well as opposed to contributing to the matches contributing to the results that's the best part of it isn't it I chose when I was 20 years old to to leave the Stratford end and go into K-Stand and K-Stand was was a seated area because I felt that's like your progression as a fan and K-Stand was a bit cooler like lads you sort of looked up to and I thought I want to be a part of that. And I loved it when the whole stand just stood up above the away fans and responded to a, a, a request from the Stratford end of K-Stand, give us a song. And 5,000 people would just stand up and go, yeah, I did. And it just looked absolutely brilliant. I think this is about giving people a choice. Um, safe is absolutely paramount. I don't wish to go back to where I was in my youth standing on crap terraces and Nottingham Forest where the rake was too shallow <clears throat> to see the game, to judge distance probably, where your view was obscured by a floodlight pylon wrapped in barbed wire, where you were stood on an open terrace at Southampton or Coventry and you got soaked wet through and you were treated like a third-class citizen, not a second-class citizen. But it's been demonstrated that these can actually be safer. So when there is a goal, rather than tumbling forward over seats and, and hurting your shins, I think most United fans have got shin injuries at some point or limbs as they call them now from certain celebrations. You do actually have um, a barrier in front of you and that will prevent that from happening. Whether further down the line, it, if the confidence rises in this project and it means that more fans can be let into the same area, and that results in even lower ticket prices, then I just see positives coming from this. The last time Cristiano Ronaldo faced Aston Villa at Old Trafford, this happened. Gary Neville, Makeda, comes out to gigs. Great turn by Makeda! Astonishing! The response of champions from a player you won't have heard of before. You've certainly heard of him now. Did I see it? A star is born. What a time! What an arena! And what a moment to do this! Yeah, you might remember it. Actually, Ronaldo scored twice on that day as well, but no one really remembers that. They just remember that goal from Federico Makeda. Uh, even a fraction of that drama this weekend will be enjoyed, I'm sure, against Aston Villa. But, Laurie, you were sort of alluding to it, and Andy was as well. They're not a bad team, Aston Villa, are they? This could be quite a decent test for United. Yeah, for sure. And we've got um, a survey that we're doing on the Athletic for, I think, next week in terms of speaking to agents um, sort of anonymously, uh, asking their opinions on who had the best window. And one agent that I spoke to said Aston Villa, you know, the way that they have used the Jack Grealish money, 100 million, uh, they've reinvested it. They were sharp with the Danny Ings transfer, Leon Bailey 
Emi Buendia, I know he's had the um, stuff over with Argentina in terms of his availability, but you can see he's a quality player. And plus Axel Twenzebi on loan, obviously he won't be able to play against Man United, but um, they, they look like they've got a bit about them. And we, we touched on Thomas Tuchel earlier and that game at Stamford Bridge, Villa actually took it to them and, you know, had chances. I know it was a 3-0 in the end for Chelsea, but, you know, it wasn't, it, it was closer than that scoreline suggests. So for sure, United can't overlook them. They'll be a dangerous team. They've got attacking threats. Um, and, you know, hopefully it'll be another kind of ding-dong. You know, I don't, I know people are perhaps looking at the central midfield and, and for sure it's an area of concern, but I think if United can outgun teams, you know, you'd rather win 3-2 you know, like they did back in 2009, then, um, you know, sort of perhaps squeak a 1-0. So, um, and Ronaldo, I think, has really impressed me continually, just the way he looks so sharp. He makes moves that no one else makes. Yeah. He makes runs in behind and gets himself into positions for crosses. It makes you realise how much they've missed a proper centre-forward. And I know Cavani's brought that at times, but Ronaldo even seems a step up on that. It's just so sharp, isn't it? It's that quick sort of step and then peel away and then he, all of a sudden he's in two yards of space. You're sort of thinking, why is the defender left Cristiano Ronaldo free in the box? You know, surely that should be your number one priority. And then actually you look back and, and see how quick his movement is and you're thinking, well... Even reacting to the rebounds. Yeah. You know, I, I can't remember who wrote it this week, but they're like, oh, players, uh, goalkeepers are queuing up to drop balls at Ronaldo's feet. Mm. But that's because Ronaldo's folded it up and is in the right place and uh, to start with, isn't it? For sure, yeah. I mean, the one against Newcastle was obviously... You know, it, it seems like quite a simple thing, doesn't it? Follow a shot in, but actually, when you look back at it again, the defender's trying to push him. He's, he's trying to grab hold of him, and he's managed to sort of physically get him out of the way, and also, you know, sort of with speed of thought, um, do him as well. So that's what I found really impressive. And yeah, I mean, he's obviously scored in every game that he's played for United so far. So if that continues against Aston Villa, then great. Andy, um, Makeda uh, is playing in Greece, by the way. <laughs> I followed his career. That's the question everyone after... was thinking after that clip, wasn't it? Yeah, I followed his career, so I ended up keeping in touch with him. He went to Cardiff, he'd been at Doncaster. I went to see him at a club called Novara, which was close to Milan, and had a lovely morning, an interview with him, and then uh, they'd had a lad there called, some Portuguese could call Bruno Fernandes, who'd gone over from um, to play there in the second division in Italy. But, but Villa, and, and the point about them being resurgent, We've seen that in some of the games we've had. I think the first time when they came up and Grealish was brilliant at Old Trafford, November 19, if I'm not mistaken. But what a turnaround as a club. It's always been a favourite away. But I watched them, and I'm sure Laurie did, um, in, in his old job, uh, in the, the derby against Birmingham City when they were in the championship. And they were near the bottom of the championship in 2016-17. And I remember speaking to agents around that time who were absolutely fuming at the amount of money which Aston Villa had squandered to put themselves into that position. So as recently as 17, they finished 13th in the championship. I mean, that's Aston Villa. And then they came up, uh, they survived the first season and then they finished uh, 11th last season. And my final word on them would be, to say what a great manager and person I think Dean Smith is. Before we go, we need to pay a very quick visit to an article of Laurie's this week on The Athletic, if you want to have a look, about Manchester United's accounts and why the Glazer family pushed for the Super League. Laurie? 
Yeah, I mean, it perhaps wasn't the, the main takeaway, but it was just what I sort of felt reading. It was certainly the headline. Yeah, no, it was obviously for us, it was the main takeaway. Uh, but I just felt reading it, I mean, listen, how sad am I? I was reading through a uh, financial report, uh, which was, you know, in hundreds of pages. I mean, admittedly, the, the written stuff was, you know, like 30, 30, 40 pages. So it wasn't too bad. Uh, I had the sort of the West Ham game on, the Premier League West Ham game on as a replay sort of in the background. Um, but this while you're on holiday? No, this this was this week. This was sort of... Oh, you were back? Yeah, yeah I was okay. back. Don't, don't worry, I'm not that sad. Um, holiday was lovely, by the way. I felt reading it, there was um, little indication. And, and listen, they're not new phrases that they're using in this particular account. They've been in there in, in 2019 and in 2020. But the way that they talked was, it was clear where the motivation for the Super League was coming from. So they're, they basically talk about how they're not party to the contracts negotiated by the Premier League in UEFA in terms of broadcast rights. So they literally spell out uh, that those terms might not be as favourable to us as we might otherwise be able to negotiate individually with media distributors. And equally, they talk about the fact that the Premier League needs at least 14 clubs to vote on any major rule changes. So again, they say our interests may not always align with the majority of clubs and it may be difficult for us to affect changes that are advantageous to us. So just the language, whilst not being new, it basically you know, knitted together for me to say, well, this is why they're obviously trying to do a breakaway league. Um, but then also it, it kind of indicated why they then, you know, withdrew from that quite quickly because they spoke about how the success of our business depends on the value and strength of our brand and reputation and that unfavorable publicity could have a materially adverse effect on our business. So clearly when you've got fans breaking into Old Trafford to get a game postponed, that's not a good look for you reputationally and the business, therefore it hits the bottom line. Um, and then obviously there's some financial figures in there in terms of United's ability to resist the effects of the pandemic, which to be fair, they look you know pretty robust. I mean, they lost money again, sort of 24 million, I think it was, pre-tax but at the same time you know they've got you know huge revenues coming in and they'll they'll flip back the other way now that fans are back in the stadiums because i mean they were making 111 million a year with full crowds that was down to 7 million you know in, in this in these um, accounts so you can clearly see a huge gap there that they're going to make up now that fans are back in the stadium okay if you want to know more about manchester united's financial accounts you can go of course, go to the Athletic app and read Laurie's piece on there. And of course, there's loads of great Manchester United coverage on there too, including more reaction to that defeat in the League Cup against West Ham. But that's it for Talk of the Devils for now. Back to the accounts, one of my favourite lines of the season so far. Thank you, Laurie. And thank you, Andy, as well. It's been great to have you both with us as always. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Monday to look back at hopefully a victory against Aston Villa and also look ahead to a big game in the Champions League. See you then. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.